Hi, I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. Um, before we get into any study, though, we should probably start with a word of prayer, yes. and then we can walk through the outline. Let's okay. do that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another day of life that you've given us. Thank you that even during these uh, extreme circumstances and odd times in which we're living, we can still have the opportunity to minister to folks and uh, study from your word. So, Lord, please send your Holy Spirit right now to uh, improve our time and to help this study be what you need it to be for God's people to be blessed. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, you talked about that outline that people can get. And just a reminder, you can pick up these outlines at michigansspm.org. And uh, why don't you walk us through putting this one together and what, what we got here this week? Well... It's interesting that for the introduction, I really think the best sentence for that comes at the end of Sunday's lesson, where it says, thus Christian education needs to include the whole question of worship. What is it? How do we do it? Why is it important? And whom do we worship? So mm. that's really going to be the content of the lesson. And we drew three uh, talking points out of this lesson. The first talking point, talking point number one, is true worship is obedience. Mm -hmm. Now, that's going to sound almost a little bit... Uh, Could sound a little trite, maybe. Yeah. Or, yeah. But, and, and, and so we'll go through that, and I think you'll see where we're going with that. True worship is obedience, uh, taking Sabbath through Monday uh, lessons into consideration. Key point number two is true worship comes from God, and that's based on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then finally, true education preserves true worship, and that mm -hmm. would summarize Thursday's lesson. So that's the bird's eye view of okay. what we're looking at. Well, then let's go one by one and break them down. Uh, true worship is obedience because uh, you know, we've talked about this before, but the question of what is worship, I think one of my frustrations with this lesson uh, is because worship itself is such a nebulous term, a vague term, and that the worship, that it just kind of launches into, oh, we're built for worship and worship is part, and it, we didn't, we need to wrestle with what is worship. <laughs> That's right. And so, of course, that lesson, as I mentioned, asked, what is worship? Why is it important? Who do we... Well, it never, I don't feel it ever really got into explaining it as well as I would have liked to. I think the closest was right there in the first paragraph on Sabbath afternoon where it says, worship is part of humanity, part of human nature, even fallen human nature. No question we were created as beings who, out of the freedom given us by God, would worship the Lord because we love him and know that he is worthy of worship. Now, that almost seems contradictory in a sense to where the lesson goes in the rest of that lesson. And then on Sunday's lesson, it talks about us having an innate need to worship or a built-in uh, uh, function of worship. And that, to me, made it, it almost leaned towards the idea of us, you know, we always talk about how God didn't create robots. But right. then he kind of did because he basically made us to worship even though we haven't fully discovered it yet, when we do, we're just going to, it's built in, it's instinctive <laughs> yeah. that we're going to worship him one way or the other because it's that's how we're made. Well, also, the other flip side of that is, you know, we talk about the God-shaped hole and everyone yes. and all this. The implication seems to be sometimes that once we find God and we come to the truth, well, then it's it's inevitable that we're going to worship. We're built for this. And so there's, it's almost inescapable. But yes. I know plenty of people who have had a knowledge of God and have decided to go the other way. Yes. So this issue of the freedom of our will and freedom of choice is pretty important when it comes to worship. Absolutely. And so let's start with the idea of what worship is. Our word for worship, our English word, is wor is made up of a conjunction of the words worth and ship. It's mm -hmm. basically, and I have this in the lesson, uh, worship is an expression of our devotion to what's worth the most to us. 
at its most core element. And in the Greek, the Greek word actually that's translated worship means to kiss towards, mm. to show reverence or o obeisance towards something. Mm -hmm. And again, it's just expressing, it's an expression of what's worth the most to us. And so it is in the Bible with the idea of worship. So what that said to me is worship really, rather than being in, in, in innate uh, something put in us, the innate thing in us is choice. Yes. The power of choice. God has given us the power of choice, and we have the ability to choose what to express our devotion towards. Mm -hmm. Ideally, we would express our devotion towards God in worship, but we can right. express that in other things. But it's because we have a choice, and so um, worship really grows out of that choice. Well, and so you can have devotion to other things besides God. You can have a devotion to yourself, right? Yes. And but the But all of that is is predicated on the notion, I can choose this day whom That's I right. will serve, whether I'm going to be self-centered or focused on God well, and, and you, his law. You, you, anyway. you think about the uh, um, the idea of Revelation 14, fear God and give glory to him and worship him. Uh, the everlasting gospel is given, and you really have an invitation to worship. Um, mm. you, could, you could call it a command to worship as well, but God doesn't force worship, and he can't. We know God can't force worship because if it's forced, it really isn't worship. Worship has to be given. It ties right. back to choice. Why would the Bible go into talking about why God's worthy of worship? He's worthy of <laughs> yeah. our worship. Who cares if he's worthy because we have to do it anyway. But that's, right. no, it's a, it's, he's worthy, and the Bible's educating us because we have the freedom to choose who we'll right. worship. And it gives, the Bible then gives us that information we need to make the choice for worship, but worship is still a choice at the bottom line. It's, uh, it's a... It's the expression of our will. That's right. And so on Monday's lesson, for example, Monday goes into the Psalms and how they were used, incorporated in the worship services of Israel, much like our hymns are today. Yes. And the Psalms, as you go through Monday's lesson, and you look at Psalm 78, for example, like many Psalms, it recounts the working of God in behalf of his people, his goodness and mercy mm -hmm. toward them, and their rebellious responses and what have you. But all of that... All of that history is educating the mm -hmm. worship experience. Again, worship is, a, is my choice, and so God's reminding them of why he's worthy of worship and all the wonderful things he's done so for them. So even the Psalms, the, the, the singing element, the musical element, the recounting the history element, all of that goes to implanting in us that basis for worship. That's you right. In our, so our worship services serve that same function in our hymns and in the right. sermons. They're reminding us of why God's worthy of worship and right. what it means to worship. So him. the worship service is not necessarily worship itself. Right. But it's a it's an implement to help us worship, to understand who and why and how and all those kind of things. It's an educating tool. That's right. And of course, so somebody may be asking so far, well, you, wait a minute, you said true worship is obedience. Where'd you get that from? Well, worship <laughs> is that expression of devotion. The highest expression of devotion you can give to anybody is obedience. Mm -hmm. And a good text for that Roman is in Romans 6. Now, I also have referenced John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me. Keep my commandments. You know, that's what he's saying is this is the best way for you to express your love and devotion to mm -hmm. me. But Romans 6, in fact, I'll have you read that when we get sure. there. Romans 6 and verse 16. All right. It's a rhetorical question. Do you want me to read that? You said? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, here the Apostle Paul is writing this rhetorical question. It says, do you not know? And I, for what it's worth, that's he uses that phrase oftentimes because this, to him, is like this is a common yes. sense idea. This is self-evidently clear, right? Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? 
So, of course, the point there, first of all, he, he says that obedience is who de what determines our servitude. Mm -hmm. And read into that worship. Again, the highest form. Now, what's interesting here is he uses the word slaves. And mm -hmm. I was going over this with some folks, and, yeah. and, and it was, it's hard for us. We read slave, and slave is something somebody else does to you. But in this passage, you're doing it to yourself. Well, it's a voluntary you're slave, but you present, yourself. Exactly, present right. yourself. And, and while some Bibles say servants here, the slaves is a more correct reading. And mm. the idea is you got to ask yourself, what does it mean to present yourself as a slave to somebody? Mm. In other words, what level of commitment is there? Is there a greater level of commitment to be the, a servant or to, be, to, to submit to being a slave? And again, mm. don't, we, it's hard for us not to read in all of the, the abuse and whatever, oh, right, slavery. Right. And that's not what the apostle is speaking of. He's speaking of the level of submission. Right. Because, again, this is present yourself. This is not you're taken captive that's and therefore right. serve out of some sort of other duty. This is now you are choosing your right. master, essentially. That's exactly right. And so here he's, what he's telling us is the highest expression of worship, servitude, mm -hmm. is obedience. Mm -hmm. You determine who you're worshiping, honoring, obeying, giving reverence to by the one you obey. Mm. So. Yeah. Yes. And I'm just thinking that, that, that's, and you've got it in your notes there, that this is so, when we even broach the idea of worship, I know, at least in my mind, and probably a lot of other people's minds, is you think of like a worship service, or you think of songs, or you think of a, a special place and a context where we have an experience of that's worship, right? right? And we're talking about leading people in a worship experience. Very sensory. Very sensory, very tangible. And the reality is that worship, as understood biblically then, is not so much an expression in the musical or, or art kind of sense or something like that, an experiential moment. Right. It's really a choice of duty uh, where we subject ourselves to what we've chosen, to the master we've chosen, right? That's and right. so if God is, now I can sing to God and, I, right. can, and I present uh, offerings and worship and all kinds of things. But the worship itself... But those itself, should be an outgrowth of that obedience to exactly, God's submission. Exactly. That's a manifestation of that worship attitude. I'm of, singing to God because I've chosen to submit myself to exactly. Him as a servant. And, and it's reminding me of exactly. why and I've done that. And that refeeds on yes. that because now I'm learning the, the, the doctrine of God and I'm learning the, the hymns and the different things. And all of that is towards a deepening of that commitment but the core heart of worship is that choice to obey God. Well, and I want to give a, you know, sometimes the quarterlies have a reading assignment at the end, like Friday's lesson that says, for further study, read such and such. And yeah. I was hoping it would have, and it didn't have. So I'm going to give that, even though we've passed this lesson, read the chapter in Great Controversy called Modern Revivals. Yes. And what it's doing is it's contrasting true worship with false worship. And what you're going to see is mm -hmm. where the true worship is a simple obedience, faith obedience to God, False worship is sensory. Right. And, and the false revivals have always been driven by emotion and what have you, mm -hmm. apart from obedience. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm drawn to the golden calf incident just in my mind, you know, because Moses yeah, disappears. explain how you're drawn to <laughs> well, the I'm, golden Well, I'm calf. thinking okay. in the context of a good parallel would be because, you know, Moses goes up the mountain and he yeah. gives them the law, be thinking on these things, put them into practice, right? But as soon as he disappears out of their sight, they need something to see yes. and such they build a calf and 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 again, it leads automatically to now there's music and there's sensual things and there's tangible things and it leads away from the, to the, to the truth yes. of God's word. And so uh, that modern revivals is a powerful thing applicable to our day particularly. Absolutely. So just capping off this idea of true obedience is worship is the statement. The lesson had this statement um, on 
Tuesday, actually, from Desire of Ages, but this is a piece of it. Speaking of the new birth from Desire of Ages 189, it says the new birth will give us, it doesn't say the new birth, it's in the context, and I added that, and it's in our notes, will give us a willing obedience to all his requirements. This is true worship. Amen. It is the fruit of the working of the Holy Spirit, which actually spills into our next point. Okay. But true worship, she says here, is that willing obedience to all God's requirements. Right. So if you're looking for a great definition, it's going to be hard to beat Desire of Ages 189, which yes. she says this is true worship and it is that willing obedience. But let's now use that as the bridge to the next point where the right. sentence says it is the fruit of the working of the Holy Spirit. So That's clearly right. it's not something we can do apart from God. And we can't it. conjure it up, right? So how does this... Walk us through this number two, because true worship comes from God. If well, true worship is, is obedience, how does that come from this God? This is fascinating because you, you contrast true worship with false worship, and, and heathen worship was always what man could give to God. Mm. But we can't give anything to God. Mm-hmm. All things come from him. And so true worship comes from God. That's our second key point. And it's built on the idea of the woman at the well. The lesson right. brings up John 4, where Jesus has this encounter, and he tells her when it comes to worship that those who worship The Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. God Mm -hmm. is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that mean? The lesson draws out, like, what does it mean, God is spirit? And, and, you know, there's a a tendency to make this all mystical. Okay. And, um, oh, God is spirit. And the point that it's making is a simple point. And I've included in the lesson Romans 7.14, where the Apostle Paul says the law is spiritual, but we are carnal, sold under sin. And his, his point is to show how incompatible we are naturally with the law of God. Like mm-hmm. a, a carnal person can't obey a spiritual law mm-hmm. until he becomes spiritual. Well, a carnal person can't worship a spiritual God until he becomes There's spiritual. There's got to be the change in the person. So listen yeah. to what Ellen White says in that same statement of Desire of Ages. This is not in the lesson. It's back a couple sentences, but it's in Desire of Ages 189. She quotes from where it says, where Jesus says, those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. And then she says these words. Here is declared the same truth that Jesus had revealed to Nicodemus when he said, except a man be born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Mm. So she equates that expression of worshiping in spirit and truth to be the need to be born again. And then she says, the religion that comes from God, and this was in the lesson on Tuesday, the religion that comes from God is the only religion that will lead to God. In order to serve him aright, we must be born of the divine spirit. Mm. And the simple point there is, you can't worship a spiritual God unless you become a spiritual person. Worship is a spiritual act. So let's just put it this way unspiritual people cannot experience true worship because true worship is a spiritual, you know, thing. And we are unspiritual things. And I have to bring this in here. And you know, as a pastor too, I have had real challenges when it comes to the worship service. There are certain Mm. things and certain times where I would disagree with having a certain person leading out on the platform. Mm. In the worship service, they'd say, well, this person, we want to get them involved in the church. (laughs) And so we're going to put them up. And we know they're sleeping around with somebody and they do that. But we want to bring them back. The Mm -hmm. point is, are they, and my question would be, have they recommitted their life to Jesus? Well, no, not yet. Well, Mm. how in the world is an unspiritual person supposed to lead spiritual worship? Mm. They can't do it. And so this Mm. is not a dismissal of that person. Praise the Lord that they're coming back to church, what have you. But we have forgotten that worship is a spiritual thing that Mm. only spiritual people can lead. I didn't say perfect people. Right. I said spiritual people, people who have committed themselves to Jesus and opened their heart to the working of the Holy Spirit. So even, you know, 
tying on the same thing, I've had experiences in local churches, but someone might be a very good performer or musician or something like that. Yes. Oh, they, but it doesn't tend to the worship that we're aiming for, that's even right. though it might be technically sound performance and, you know, that's maybe right. moving. But that's not what worship is. Worship is not a performance. Exactly. That's right. So the lesson goes in Wednesday into the idea of the beauty of holiness that just takes us another step. What is, and it even asks the question. So they're bringing the ark back to Israel in this encounter. And then this is our memory verse. So worship the Lord in, in the, the beauty, beauty of, of holiness. holiness. Yes. And what does that mean? The lesson asks. Well, and so my mind goes to what are the things that you might call beautiful or beauty that would elicit beauty in a worship service? You could talk about the decorations in the church. Sure. You could talk about the praise Stained music. Is it beautiful? Yeah. The look of the church, the sound of things, the way people are dressed could all be denoted as beautiful. Is that what the Lord is looking for? No. No. Worship the Lord. And I found this great quote by Charles Spurgeon uh, commenting because this passage, 1 Corinthians 16, and worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness is also from the 96th Psalm, 96 verse 9. And Charles Spurgeon commenting on this in his Treasury of David says, speaking of the beauty of holiness, this is the only beauty, <clears throat> this is the only beauty which he cares for in our public services, and it is one for which no other can compensate. Just a great point. Mm -hmm. So not that other things, other beauty isn't, the other beauty in the service should grow out of the beauty of holiness. In other words, the beauty God looks for is a holy heart. Mm. And when God sees his people who are submitting to him because they want to be holy like him, right. that's what he's looking for. That's beautiful to him. Amen. And that's what worship needs to be. And it goes along with that idea of worship being obedience to God. Well, you had the, in the notes there a uh, reference to the quarterly lesson uh, on yes. Wednesday, the last paragraph, where it says, in contrast to those pagan rites and, yes. and, and so-called worship that they were doing with their gods, yes. in contrast, ancient Israel was to be a holy nation separated from the evil customs around them. They were to be holy in their hearts and minds. This is what gave their worship meaning and beauty before God. That's right. Again and again, the Old Testament prophets railed against people who worshiped the Lord while engaged in corruption and while their hearts were far from him. And that's a great point to bring out that the true distinction, though rites and ceremonies might be part of it, starts in that heart conversion of the worshipers themselves. It right. makes the whole beauty, uh, the whole service beautiful. That's right. And what's interesting, you know, that interestingly goes into the third angel's message where you have, well, the three angels' messages, fear God and give glory to him. Well, what's that idea of giving glory to him? Mm -hmm. It's having a character like Christ right. and worship him. Right. So you Those have are that all tied beauty together. of holiness tied yeah, in. Absolutely. In fact, um, well, yeah, there's a quote coming up, but uh, what about the other half of that? And well, I even if spirit say, means spiritual, right? So yes. we're being converted people, right, with a clean heart. But then why the need for truth? Yeah. Right? It's, it seems like, why did Jesus have those two things together? And I can appreciate that the lesson emphasizes the importance of doctrinal truth. Yes. But what I don't like is it almost makes it like they're separate components mm -hmm. and they're two different things that make up this worship where you and I were talking, they're really, yeah. I would, I'd be more comfortable to say they're both aspects of the same thing. Well, especially when you get like to you the question. You can't have one without the other. The question at the bottom of Tuesday's lesson: um, How would you teach? How would you seek to teach someone to worship in spirit and truth? In what cases might someone need an emphasis more on one than the other? And it sounds like such a good question, right? Yeah. Well, they're a little too spirit. We need to bring in some truth. They're a little too truth, but that kind of lends to that idea that they're separate things that we need to have equal measure on when the reality yes. is you cannot be a converted person and not be drawn by the word of God or 
uh, conversely, right. truly studying the Word of God and not let it have its converting power in your life. Well, we talked about how worship is a choice. Mm -hmm. It's an intelligent choice. What's it based on? Information truth. from truth, yes. <laughs> in other words, truth educates our worship. Like, I choose to worship God because of the truth I know about God. So they're, right. they're inseparable. And, then, and I think and, you and had I said they're, they're, they're both sides of the same coin. And yeah. You can't spend one without the other. Yeah, you can't spend one and save the other. You, right. know, you can't do that. And, and too oftentimes, I think we look at this passage, and, we, and I've heard people, I don't know if you've had this experience, to say, well, I go to this church because it's full of spirit, but I come to this church because it's teaching truth. It's like, well, what kind of truth would lead you away from a exactly true spiritual right. experience or vice versa? Read modern revivals. Exactly. And so there is that almost an underwoven uh, expectation, and I, and I don't want to send people off on a mission of, maintaining balance, whatever no. that means. Like we don't want to be well, we, too faithful to God's word. That'd be an extremist We've or seen the experiment of this and I'm, I'm, I'm alarmed with it a little bit. We've seen the fallout of trying to overcompensate. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, the church is too legalistic in the past. We're going to focus just on love and grace. Right. Oh, the church is too much about love and grace. We're going to just focus on really rules. crank down. <laughs> Anytime you do that, first of all, that's imbalance. Right. You can't expect balance to come out of imbalance. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter which direction the imbalance is in. Yeah. And the other the thing is, if you give an imbalanced thing, like James White used to write about the difficulty Ellen White have, would have in trying to correct a certain error, because she'd write a letter to a brother who was late to everything, and the guy who's late to everything wouldn't even pay attention to it, but the guy who paid attention to it is the guy who's on time for everything. Yeah, he's so, so conscientious he about it. Yeah. Right. And so it's just better to present this, the truth as it is in Jesus, right? right? That's what yeah. we mean, in spirit and in truth, and, and let it have its effect. Amen. So the cure for imbalance is not other imbalance, That's exactly it's balance. Right. Yeah. Ellen White makes a great statement in Prophets and Kings, page 50. She says, those who assemble to worship him should put away every evil thing. I'm thinking in the context of the beauty of holiness. In fact, she says, unless they worship him in spirit and truth and in the beauty of holiness. So she ties those concepts together. Their coming together will be of no avail. Mm, mercy. That's a good So the, the essence of true worship means to be seeking to come together in spirit and truth and the beauty of holiness. Well, as we conclude, then let's tie this back into education. What yes. role does education have in this worship experience that we desperately need, a spirit and truth worship? Well, because worship is is not built in, because worship is a choice, and the choice is built in, but worship is, is up to us, mm -hmm. that it needs to be educated. Okay. So in order to make the transformation we need into spiritual beings, it takes coming from God, but we need to know who he is and make That's a choice right. to that. And so choices require information. The lack of edu proper education or false education has led to false worship. And in there fact, the lesson, interestingly, as much as it highlights, initially highlights the pagan religions uh, and cultures, the example it brings up is in Mark chapter seven, where Jesus told the religious leaders, not the heathen, that though they, they worship me with their lips and their hearts are far from me, and that wasn't in the part of the passage they quoted, but uh, uh, passage Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, um, 7 through 9 actually, but in verse 6 is where he says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Mm -hmm. And so here they were teaching, right? Mm -hmm. These were, this was, this was Christian education. This was education from the religious leaders, but it was false education and it led to false worship. It mm. led to the worship of men's traditions over right. the commandments of God. And so I have in the notes, the tradition of the elders was false education that taught obedience to man over obedience to God. Mm -hmm. and, and it was interesting, as you pointed out, that their, their um, 
well, maybe I'm skipping ahead here, but I remember in our conversation we talked about how not only did they choose one or the other, that they, that because the commandments of man were in contrast with the commandments of God, they had to prioritize one or the other. So they were, yes. they were still made lip service to God and his law, yeah. but they consciously put ahead of the, God's law man's commandments. Right, verse 9 where Jesus says, all too well you reject the commandment of God so that, that you may keep you may your keep. tradition. In other exactly. words, their tradition was more important to them. And isn't that what we said? Worship is worship. What's worth the most to you? Your, your right. expression of devotion to what's worth the most. What was worth the most to them? Their tradition. Well, and we hear this so much like, well, they were really obedient to God. They were hyper obedient. <laughs> no, they were not. They were purposely right. disobeying the commandments of God. So they, they were obedient to themselves, to that's their right. own rules. But that's not true worship. That's absolutely right. Anyway. So Friday has a great quote. We're looking at, I'm looking, I'm just going to share the last piece of it, like the, the last third of it. It says in Friday's lesson, it would be more pleasing to the Lord if lukewarm professors of religion had never named his name. Mm. They are a continual weight to those who would be faithful followers of Jesus. They are a stumbling block to unbelievers, and evil angels exult over them and taunt the angels of God with their crooked course. Mercy. Right? They're not obeying God. Mm -hmm. So they're claiming to worship him, but their lives aren't worshipful. Um, Such are a curse to the cause at home or abroad. They draw nigh to God with their lips while their heart is far from him. Mm. And that's the vain worship Jesus was talking about there in Mark chapter 7. Well, that's a very kind of heavy note to end on there. But Well, the (laughs) the, the great note to end on is I included a statement. Thank you. Further from Desire of Ages, um, God doesn't want those vain professors of religion. But what he does want is this. Desire of Ages 189 says, Wherever a soul reaches out after God, there the Spirit's working is manifest, right? Because worship, she That's said right. earlier in that statement, is the him. fruit of the Holy Spirit. Right. And God will reveal himself to that soul for such worshipers he is seeking. So God's not mm. seeking somebody with a whole lot of knowledge and, and know-how. God's seeking people who are open to the Holy Spirit's yes. working in their hearts to give them that spirit of worship and elicit true worship from them. Amen. Well, we need to pray to the Lord that we be not just informed about worship, but transformed into those people who can truly worship, that we will become the worshipers that God is seeking for and would not be a reproach to his cause in this last day. So thank you for studying with us today. And as we close, let's bow our heads forward prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this important lesson on the true nature of worship and how it can only come from you. And we need to be reborn if we're going to be the true worshipers you're seeking. Please, Lord, let each one of us have that spirit and truth experience. Help us to be students of the word of God and not just hearers, but doers, so that we may be the people you've asked us to be and we can be the co-laborers you've called us to be in these last days of earth's history. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.